So y'all don't get quiet on me this morning because this is going to be a convicting message, but it's a life-giving message, and I promise there's no condemnation, but we're going to talk about the most important ship of all. If this boat isn't floating in your life, you're sunk, and it's lordship, lordship. And this is the one that everything else hinges on. But the problem is a lot of Christians, so-called Christians, kind of have that mentality that you just saw in the video of, of uh, yeah, I mean, of course, Jesus, you're part of my life. But I still have these other things, other people, other issues that I'm still involved in. But how many of Jesus wants to be your one and only? Right? How many of you are married? You're not afraid to admit it. Let me see your hands. God bless you. Look at all those honest people. Some of you have been married for 50 years. Congratulations. Others of you are newlyweds. Congratulations. But uh, I know my wife, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. And if I ever said, yeah, honey, I'm going to be staying at my girlfriend's house tonight. (laughs) You would never find the body. (laughs) So, Jesus wants to be your one and only. So today, we're going to talk about lordship. I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you're watching us online, welcome. Hello over in the family venue. All you Facebook live folks watching as well, we're glad that you're here. Hebrews chapter 6, and I'll put it up on the screen as well. Hebrews chapter 6, it says, Leaving, therefore, the discussion of the elementary or the basic principles of Christ, let us go on to maturity, not laying again... The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So in this passage, we're going to see seven foundational doctrines of the church. But we're going to focus on the first two today. And so God wants us to lay this, have these things in our life foundationally so that we can build on it, so that we can grow, so that we can mature. Right? So the first two are repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Verse 2 of doctrine... The doctrine of doctrine says that we all need to be taught that we need to be taught. And there's a whole sermon just in that, but we don't have time to get into that today. But good stuff. Of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. How many know God does permit? He wants you to grow. He wants you to develop, right? He permits it. He encourages it. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened... And have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Like a really serious passage of scripture, isn't it? It's kind of heavy. But as your pastor, I want you to know that it's in there. Because I don't want to do you a disservice. And this next one is pretty heavy as well. But how many know there's an old Jewish um, proverb, and it says this, that a true friend warns, warns. And like, for example, the bridge is out. Stop. Don't go down that. How many know if the bridge is out, you want a warning? So I want to warn you. I want to encourage you. I want the Holy Spirit to convict us today. Because repentance is a regular part of the life of a Christ follower. Repentance just means to uh, change your mind. Change your mind. Don't go down that road. Change your mind. The bridge is out. I'm telling you, turn around and go the other way. Uh, I got in trouble for telling this joke years ago, but uh, 
but I didn't learn my lesson, so I'm going to tell it to y'all. And, and it, but it's, it's really kind of punny. And it's, do you know, what's another name for a topless bar? A booby trap. <laughs> See? Because there is an enemy out there, and he wants to trap you, doesn't he? You know what the devil's plan for your life is? To steal, kill, and destroy, right? So he sets traps. And how many of a good fisherman, the devil, he, he's, uh, he's not real smart, but he's been around a long time. So he's learned what humans, we just fall for the same stuff for, for centuries, man, for millennia. So he's a good fisherman, so he knows what bait to use for you, right? So he sets traps along the path because he's trying to snare your soul. So today, I'm, I'm the guy trying to point out a few traps. I want to give you this tool, this foundational stone in your foundation called repentance from dead works and faith towards God so that you can avoid a lot of the pitfalls and traps. Sound like a good plan? Romans chapter 2, verse 4 through 11 Romans 2, 4 through 11. This is the message translation. How many know the message is like the Bible with an attitude? That's what I call it. So this is what it says. This is the Apostle Paul. I was reading my notes last night, and my, my youngest son, he's 17. He's, we, I read this passage, and he goes, who's that talking? I said, that's the Apostle Paul. And he goes, oh, that sounds like him. So here we go. He says, verse 2, and did you think that because God is such a nice God that he'd let you off the hook? How many know he is a nice God? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. Did you know that that's how you know, we know, that your life has been saved, that you are a Christ follower? It's that phrase right there, radical life change. Verse 5. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake, in the end, you get what's coming to you. Woo! You know, that was in the Bible, didn't you? What's coming to you? Well, real life is coming for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, what do they get? Fire. Whew. That's tough stuff, isn't it? That phrase, getting their own way. Get, you know, so I, I, use it, I have a little funny preacherism that I say, you can go your way or Yahweh. Those are the choices. And that's how we know who's the Lord of your life is. You're either you're the Lord or he's the Lord. So, verse 9. If you go against the grain, you get splinters. Regardless of which neighborhoods you're from, what your parents taught you, what schools you attended, but if you embrace the way God does things, there are wonderful payoffs. Again, without regard to who you are, where you're from, who brought, who are, how you were brought up, being a Jew won't give you an automatic stamp of approval. I could insert here, going to church doesn't give you an automatic stamp of approval. Uh, being, um, being a Jew, God pays no attention to what others say or what you think about you. He makes up his own mind. Based on what criteria? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Have you done that? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. John, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest prophet of all time. And his main and only message was repent. 
Because somebody coming after me who's better, bigger, more awesome, greater than I am, believe on him. Repent and believe on him. And Jesus' first public message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why did he preach the message of repentance? Why did John the Baptist preach the message of repentance? Because it's foundational to our salvation. Let me say it to you another way. You cannot get saved unless you repent. Now, repentance is a word you don't hear in church very much anymore, unfortunately. But it's a really important word. And we have some religious connotation to what the word repentance means, but it simply means this. It means to change your mind, to turn around, do an about face, and go the other way. It actually comes from an old English military word from the, you know, the old King James Bible. That's how it got in there, repent. So if the British troops were marching along and the sergeant ho- ho- hollered out, you know, company, hope, repent, they would turn around and they would go the other way. That's all it means. Go the other way. There's a trap. Turn around. Do an about face. Stop. The bridge is out. Go the other way. There's a pitfall there. Turn around. Change your mind about the way you're going and go a different way. So how many, broad is the way that leads to destruction. You didn't know Broadway was in the Bible, did you? But narrow is the path that leads to life. The Holy Spirit today is so good and kind, and he is nudging us, leading us to that narrow path so that we don't perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But you got to get on the path of life and that life is Jesus. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All right. And the reason that uh, I'm bringing this message today Because as a pastor, I don't want anybody to pray some prayer or come to church regularly and under false pretenses think that everything's okay with them and God if they haven't repented of their sin and made Jesus the Lord of their life. Let me read another verse to you. It's in the book of Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus talking. It's red letters. I know if it's in red, you got to pay extra attention, right? Read the red and do what it said. Here we go, verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. They'll put it up on the screen for you, and it says, this is Jesus talking now, right? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? What's it say? Does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Sounds like a charismatic church. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's pretty, that's pretty intense, isn't it? I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Practice lawlessness. So I never knew you. I mean, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. And it's about practice. What do you practice? Do you practice righteousness or do you practice unrighteousness what's the and again repentance means change your mind your emotions and your actions in regards to sin so those are the three things we're going to talk about today three things three changes that take place in a person who repents how do you know if you've repented what's the litmus test if you will have you changed the way you 
think, the way you feel, and the way you act in regards to sin. That's repentance from dead works. That's step one. Step two is faith towards God. Now, so here, we're gonna, here we go. Number one, change the way you think about sin. So how should I think about it? You should think that it's wrong, that it's bad, that it's death. 1 John chapter 3. Say, man, y'all read a lot of scriptures here at Harvest Church. Yes, because you don't want my opinion. We want to know what the Word of God says, right? 1 John 3 and verse 4 through 9 says this. Whoever, y'all out there today? Y'all doing okay? Don't need to tell a joke to wake you up or y'all all right? Okay. I know this is a little heavy, but sometimes you need some broccoli and a filet mignon. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, Jesus, was manifest to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. So how, do you, how can you tell the difference between God's kids and the devil kids? Here He's going to tell us right here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And that includes your in-laws, by the way. So how do we know? It's, you got, it's those who, if you don't practice righteousness and love, then you're not of God. If you do practice righteousness and practice love, you're born of God. And the key word in this passage is the word practice. When you become a born-again Jesus follower, you don't lose your ability to sin. You just lose your ability to enjoy it. Right? Because when you sin, when you mess up, you, you, you don't feel right. It's like taking a Shower with your socks on. It just don't feel right. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever push you in the pool and you got all your clothes on? You just, man, it just don't feel right. I don't like that. Especially if you had your iPhone in your pocket. That's bad. So the key word here again is practice. And many Christians view sin not as sin, but as it's just a weakness. Well, how many know let the weak say, I am strong? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, we are weak on our own, but Jesus, when you're a Christ follower, he provides you with his strength. And so they have these weaknesses, and they say, oh, well, God understands that I just eat too much. It's just a weakness. It's not a sin. It's not gluttony. It's just a weakness. Or God understands that, that I have a temper. I mean, he knows, after all, that I'm part Irish. He, he gets it. I mean, after all, no perfect people allowed, right? And that's true. But sin is sin. And the wages of sin is still death. And sin, in other words, sin kills stuff. When you sin, stuff dies in your life. It's like spraying Roundup on the garden of your life. Not good. Not a good strategy. 
So, or instead of, you know, the weakness sins, we have identity issues where we identify with our sin more than we identify with Christ. Can I give you some examples? People say, oh, I'm a, I'm a homosexual Christian, or I'm a gossiping Christian, or I'm a lying Christian, or uh, these are all oxymorons, by the way. You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's like you call it a parkway, but you drive on it. You call it a driveway, but you park on it. It's like you call it a building, but it's already built. It's like, what? It's an oxymoron. So these are oxymorons, all right? See what I'm saying? So it's kind of like saying, well, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I just, uh, I just never tell the truth. What? Oxymoron. No such thing. Oh, I'm a Christian. I just, you know, I, ch- I cheat on my wife. Or what, what, what do they call that when you swap spouses? Swingers, yeah. Oh, we're Christians. We're just swingers. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. I think you're deceived. Like one guy goes, well, if I'm deceived, I don't know it. <laughs> That's kind of how it works. <laughs> That's why I'm here telling you this today. We're shining the light. Okay? Now, there's a difference between being a Christian that struggle has a struggle, because we all do, don't we? You might be a Christian who struggles with homosexuality, or a Christian who struggles with lying, but the thing is, is that you're struggling. You're fighting it. You're trying to overcome it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're not letting the sin that, that pulls at you become your identity. That's not who you are. How many, just because it's what you did, it's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are a child of God. You are a king and a prince and a queen in Christ Jesus. You are royal by blood. Come on, somebody. You're a child of the living God. Hey, I got kids, and I love them. And they got struggles, but I love them. But they're my kids. And they come to me with their struggles, and I help them. I don't kick them when they're down. I don't put my finger in their face and go, what's wrong with you? I know what's wrong with them. I'm their dad. <laughs> it's just easy. So we all got struggles. I'm not, so I don't want anybody being condemned today, but I would love for the Holy Spirit to convict you. Because here's, what, here's, what, here's the difference. Um, condemn, conviction says you made a mistake. Condemnation says you are a mistake. The devil uses condemnation. The Holy Spirit uses conviction. So I pray we all get convicted today because he wants to help us. So this is good news. Now, I know it's, 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 it's kind of like, you know, uh, drinking castor oil a little bit today. But I mean, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Hang in there. Hang in there. Tell your neighbor. Say, it's going to get better. Okay. <laughs> so don't turn your battle into your identity. You might be a Christian who struggles, but don't let your problem become who you are. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read a lot of scriptures today. Galatians 5, verses 19. I don't remember if this is the good news translation. Uh, they'll put the right one up there, I think. But anyway, this is what it says. Galatians 5, 19. The activities of the lower nature or of the flesh are obvious. Here's a list. Sexual immorality. Impurity of the mind. Sensuality. Worship of false gods. Witchcraft. The Greek word there in the New Testament is the word pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. So it doesn't mean that if you go to the pharmacy that you're a witch or a warlock. He's talking about using mind-altering substances so that you can have an experience, uh, a, a spiritual experience. So he's saying, don't do that. That's a work of the flesh. All right? All right, moving right along. 
Um, hatred is the work of the flesh. Quarreling, jealousy, bad temper, rivalries, factions, party spirit. Whoop, whoop, party in the house. Whoop. That's not what that means, by the way. That means, well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm, of, I'm a Whig or whatever the party. That was an old one, wasn't it? But whatever. Well, who cares about your party? What kingdom are you in? Right? Well, I'm a Democratic Christian. I'm a Republican Christian. No, all we care about is, are you a Christ follower? We don't care about your party, right? Are you out there? I know I'm in the deep south, but, but you, you're tracking with me today? How many know the kingdom you're a part of is a whole lot more important than the party you're a part of? Amen. All right, he goes on to say, uh, works of the flesh, envy. Somebody got something that you don't have and you want it. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I solemnly assure you, as I did before, that those who practice in such things will never inherit God's kingdom. Bam. Paul dropped the mic. In other words, why don't, you, why don't we want you practicing these things? Well, you just don't want us to have fun. No, no, no. We want you to walk in abundant life. And if you're practicing any of those things, you're not going to have abundant life. You're going to have bondage life. He says, verse 22, the spirit, however, produces in human life fruits such as these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, fidelity, tolerance, self-control. And no law exists against any of these things. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and lusted for. If our lives are centered in the Spirit, let us be guided by the Spirit. I love that phrase. Those that are in Christ have crucified their old nature with all that it loved and lusted for. Now, can we just get real for a minute? As if we haven't already. But how many know that your old nature, it loved and lusted for some stuff that it wasn't good for you? I mean, any temptations that I have had as an adult... They come directly from things that I yielded to as a teenager before I was living for Jesus. Now, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, if you've repented from your sin, you've changed the way that you think about sin. You don't think it's okay. You don't think it's a weakness. You don't think it's your identity. You think that it's the old nature and it has to be crucified. Why do you crucify stuff? To kill it. Because we don't want that growing in our life. So we don't practice. We don't, we're thinking, that's not my practice anymore. What does practice mean? Because John talked a lot about this in 1 John. Practicing righteousness versus practicing lawlessness or practicing iniquity. So, all right, I want you to all tune in right now because I'm about to tell you one of the keys of knowing whether or not you're a Christ follower or whether you're not one. And it all comes back to what you Practice. Practice. Practice makes permanent, right? It's like um, um, practicing physicians. You go and you pay them money and they practice on you. Try to figure out what, what's going on. And so I'm a practicing preacher. So I'm practicing on y'all, okay? So here we go. It mean, practice means to do frequently as a rule or a habit. It's your habit. It means to work, to toil as an occupation. Not once, but over and over. 
saying you've repented without changing. Kind of religion teaches us to categorize our sin, doesn't it? You know, you got the weakness zone sins. Then you got the danger zone sins. The danger zone, that's murder and armed robbery and adultery and stealing. Then you got the weaknesses of gossip and hatred and envy and pride and selfish ambition and losing your temper. Marginal deception. You know, I wish I had time. Since I'm meddling, I could meddle on that a little bit. Mar- what's marginal deception? You know, it's when you, you leave out some information to make somebody think one thing. And you think, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the whole truth. That's marginal deception. Anyway, I don't have time to meddle. But, uh, or how about fantasizing? Thinking about stuff you have no business thinking about. Well, nobody knows. It's just in my mind. I mean, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So when you practice something, you work at it like it's your job. Right? Now, when I get up in the morning, first thing I do is I listen to the Scripture. Why? Because I know that if I don't, my flesh is going to pull me to the broad way of destruction. I remember when I, was, when I was a teenager, I drove a 1975 mustard yellow Toyota pickup truck. And the driver's side window was busted out. And it was rusted on the passenger side with no hubcaps. But I had nice hubcaps on the driver's side. So if I wanted to make a good impression, I had to pull up on the right side. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now, it did have air conditioning, but I didn't have a driver's side window. So, was, you know, and when it rained, I drove like this. Because I was trying not to, I was trying not to get wet. <laughs> it's it's a rough little. I'm thankful for my nice cars I got now. But back then, I was just glad I wasn't walking because I did that a lot too. Because I had bald tires, I had a flat tire. Man, you know what I had? I always had a stock of that fix a flat stuff. You know, you you know, and it inflates your tire, it gets you two three days. And man, I wore some tires. My tires are already worn out. I wore out wore out tires. It was just a rough little truck, but it was better than walking when it worked. But sometimes it would get out of alignment real easy. And, you know, back then, power steering was you, you had some power in your arms and you steered it. That's what power steering meant. You know, anybody can relate? Anybody have one of them? And so if you let the wheel go, it would pull and you'd go right into the ditch if you took your hands off the wheel. So you had to constantly be pulling that thing. And that's how your flesh is. Your flesh wants you to go back to your old practices, your old occupation. So you got to work. To walk in the Spirit. In other words, you have to put some effort towards the Spirit. And when you do that, you're led by the Spirit. It gets easier. The grace of God. You pra- the more you practice something, the easier it gets. So, when, But when I wasn't living for Jesus, so you're, you, the Lord of your life is what your life centers around, revolves around. If you're always trying to get that next hit, that next fix, um, that next shot or whatever. Or little Fufu walks by and... and, and it ain't Victoria's Secret. She's telling everybody, you know, he's just, and whatever it is you're chasing after, right? It's, it is Victoria's Secret, so keep it a secret between you and your, your spouse. So don't be telling everybody, showing everybody. So whatever it is that your flesh gravitated toward, that was your job, your occupation. For me, it was girls. And I did some drinking before I was a Christ follower, but the reason I drank was girls. It was, it was all about the girls, and, I, and I, I practiced, and I would take notes. And I said, oh, she's cute. Oh, she's cute and doesn't have a good father. That's good. That's good. I'm going to write that down. Easy targets. Wow, that was my occupation. I was trying to get good at it, right? I worked, and I taught. I meditated. I studied. Study to show yourself approved. I don't think that's what that means. Now, y'all can sit out there and look at me so holy, but you was good at some stuff, too. 
like uh, uh, the Pope and this lawyer, they got to heaven at the same time. And St. Peter, he was so excited to see him. And he says, y'all mind just riding in the, both riding in the chariot together and I'll take you to your mansion. And it's no problem, man. So they, they, took the, they took the Pope to his mansion. It was beautiful. And they let the Pope out. And then St. Peter said, all right, you ready? They went around the block. And there was this massive mansion. It had a fountain spewing liquid gold and angels all around it singing and playing harps and trumpets. And it was like ten times bigger than the Pope's. And the lawyer was like, oh, my, are you kidding me? This is a, are you sure that you didn't get me and the Pope mixed up? This place is spectacular. What did I do to deserve this? St. Peter said, oh, we got dozens of Pope's. You're our first lawyer. That's, that's bad, I'm sorry. But how many know what you practice is a, is a clue to who the Lord of your life is? Are you the Lord or is he the Lord? Now I know, look, we all got struggles in our flesh. But that's why we practice righteousness. Because when you practice righteousness, then you have life and life more abundantly. You get the good stuff. Because the, what's the big trick? What's the big lie? What's the big deception from the enemy is this? Oh, if you do this, you know, if you take this drug, if you chase this girl, or if you have an affair with this man, or if you lie about this, or cheat on your taxes, or then you'll have more money. No, if you, you'll have more money if you honor God with your possessions and let God bless the labor of your hands. So don't buy the lie. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a lie. And the, the Bible says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it ends in what? Destruction. Right? But if you'll be led by the Spirit of God, we don't want that loophole religion, right? Loophole religion is, oh, well, you know, you, if you commit adultery, you say, well, King David committed adultery and God forgave him. Or if you got a drinking problem, well, the Bible says, you know, have a little wine for your stomach. Man, you are quiet this morning. The way we think about sin has a tremendous effect on how we repent of sin. You got to think, this ain't right. It might be hard to overcome it in the beginning, but it's better to go Yahweh than your way. So you got to change the way you think about sin. It's wrong. It kills stuff. Number two, change the way you feel about sin. Well, how should I feel about it? You should hate it. You should hate it. You got to hate sin to be free from sin. Am I right? So don't tell me you hate pornography if you're still watching it. You love it and it's your Lord. If you hate it, you'll throw your laptop in Mobile Bay if you have to, to get free from it. I don't got to come tell me what that pastor. I'm just struggling. This is about... 10, 12 years ago. I'm just struggling with pornography on the internet. What do I do? I said, well, turn off your, uh, turn off your computer. And I, just, I just can't, Pastor. This is so difficult. Said, okay, here's what you do. You take your laptop and you go down to Mobile Bay and you baptize your laptop. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost. That's a $2,000 laptop. Well, do you value your laptop more or your marriage more? Because if you keep watching pornography, she's going to divorce your butt. So do you hate it? Paul said this. He said, I rejoice that you were made sorry, and your sorrow led to repentance. 
For you are made sorry with a godly sorrow, that you may suffer loss in nothing. See, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow that produces life unto salvation because it leads to repentance. And there's a worldly sorrow that produces death because worldly sorrow focuses on me. I need this. I like this. I want this. That's, that's an eye disease. It's going to kill you. So worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. Godly sorry, sorrow says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, that I hurt you, that I sinned against you, that I disappointed you. I'm sorry that I hurt my family. I'm sorry. And, it, and it's a worldly sorrow, hard heart. Godly sorrow, tender heart broken heart God I, and you're not trying to hide anything you say here it is Lord I'm just throwing it all out there I'm so sorry and, and you let the pieces fall where they may because you're taking responsibility I'll tell you why David was a man after God's own heart because not because he committed adultery but because but because he was honest about it he just said Lord yes Lord I am that man I did it and he didn't blame anybody now Saul who was the king before David he blamed other people. Well, it's not my fault. I'm a victim of circumstance. And, and see, David was after God's spirit. Saul was after God's stuff. That's the difference in godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Because everybody's sorry. Some folks are, I'm sorry, you don't like what I'm doing. That's worldly sorrow. And if that's the kind of sorrow that you're operating in, then I don't think Jesus is probably your Lord. I think you're your Lord because you're calling your own shots. You're doing what you want to do. But when Jesus is your Lord, you don't do what you want to do. You do what he wants you to do because he's your Lord. He's your master. He's the shot caller. He's the play caller. And we do what we're told. I know this goes against the grain of American culture, but this is, this is kingdom culture. So we want to be a New Testament church, right? We want to have the manifest presence and power of God in our midst. We want the reality of the kingdom of God. We don't want just some form of religion and no power. You can get that anywhere. But if you want the real stuff, then it starts with repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Tender heart. So you change the way you think about sin. You change the way you feel about sin. And finally, you change the way you act when, in regards to sin. So what do you mean I change the way I act? Stop it. Quit. Quit sinning. Matthew 3, 8 says you bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's not enough just to say you're repentant. You've got to show proof. When the police officer pulls you over, you don't just say, yeah, I got insurance. He goes, I need to see the proof. Right? God says, okay, you say you've repented, show me the proof, show me the fruit. That means you act differently than you used to act. Y'all getting anything out of this today or am I just making you mad? You be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. It all boils down to lordship. Who's the Lord of your life? So, if you are on trial, for, and I'm closing with this, if you are on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there humility, brokenness, 
integrity? Are you friendly? Are you honest? Generous? Kind? I mean, some, some sinners act better than some Christians, but that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Repentance from dead works. How do you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life or if you just prayed some religious prayer? One more verse. I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to go. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. How do you know if you're really a Christ follower or if, you just, if you're just some religious person? How many, there's religious people in hell. How many of the devil's religious, as a matter of fact? <laughs> he ain't going to heaven. I ask people all the time, so are you a Christ follower? They go, their answer in the, in the South is, yeah, I go to church. Well, that's not what I asked you. The devil goes to church. Not this one. Not this one. But he goes to church with people every Sunday. He's fine with you going to church as long as you don't change. As long as you're not conformed to the image of Jesus. So how do you know if you're really a Christ follower or if you just prayed some prayer? There's a clue for us right here in Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, he was a Pharisee, he was a, he was a religious zealot, but he was killing Christians. He later became known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. So what's the difference? Why, why did he change his name? Saul means head and shoulders. He's actually a small man, but he named himself big man, Paul, or Saul. That means king, head and shoulders above everybody else. Because religiously, spiritually, he thought, I'm head and shoulders above everybody. He was arrogant, very proud, I'm a big man. But when he became a Christ follower, he, he renamed himself Paul, which means small. Because I, I, I thought I was, I was big in my own eyes, but now I'm small. And Jesus is big. So anyway, that's another sermon for another day. Paul, or Saul rather, breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from the synagogues of Damascus that if he found anybody that was a Christ follower, whether men or women, he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus because he was Christian hunting. He was hunting for Christ followers to kill him. And suddenly, a light shone all around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground. He got knocked off his donkey. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus takes it really personally how you treat other Christ followers. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. I wonder how that sounded in the Hebrew language when he said it. He goes, uh, I, I am the great I am. I am Yeshua HaMessiah, the Messiah. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads, to go the wrong way. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished. I wonder what that looked like. Trembling and astonished, said, Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. So he just called on the name. He said, who are you, Lord? He goes, I am Jesus. He goes, okay, Lord. Next question, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. So how do you know if you're really a Christ follower? Two questions. These same two questions. And they are, number one, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Jesus, reveal to me who you are. And when he reveals to you that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the resurrected one, then you say, what do you want me to do? And then you do it. That's how you know. I didn't say that you're perfect. 
I don't, they didn't say you don't make mistakes. But now, you're concerned about who Jesus is and what he wants you to do. And you, your whole life revolves around that. I didn't say you don't have other things and hobbies. and No, no, no. You can, God wants you to have a great life. But Jesus is the focal point. He is the center of your life. Who are you? What do you want me to do? In closing, I'm going to tell you a story. This story is called Remember the Duck. There's a little boy named Sam. Man, he wanted to be a crack shot with a slingshot so bad, but he just wasn't very good at it. He practiced all the time. He tried to shoot cans, and he tried to, you know, shoot targets, and he just missed. He just hardly ever hit anything. One day, he was out practicing with a slingshot. He was missing everything, and his grandmother called out from the window, Kids, it's time to come in and have dinner. So Sam, he's walking up to the, towards the house, and he sees out of the corner of his eye his grandmother's pet duck over by the pond. He thought, I never hit anything. I'll take a shot at this duck. Pulls back. Let's it go, and by some stroke of fake, bam, hits the duck right in the head, feathers fly everywhere, the duck falls over dead. He freaks out, he's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So he's eight years old, he runs over, he scoops up the duck, he goes behind the wood pile, he digs a little shallow grave till he can figure out what to do, and he covers up the duck. He's like, and so he, he puts a slingshot in his back pocket, he walks up to the house, and there's his older sister, Julie, tapping her foot. She saw the whole thing. They go inside for dinner. He could hardly eat. He felt so just guilty and bad. And After dinner, Grandma said, uh, Julie, would you please help me wash the dishes tonight? And she said, oh, Grandma, Sam said he wants to help wash the dishes tonight. And then she whispered, remember the duck. <laughs> the next morning, Grandpa gets up. He says, honey, I'm going to take the kids fishing today. And she goes, oh, that's fine, but I need Julie to stay behind and help me with a few chores. And Julie says, Sam said he wants to stay behind and help with the chores. Remember the duck. <laughs> Sam stayed behind and he helped with the chores. This went on day after day after day. And finally, little Sam, one day, he just broke down. He just starts weeping. And his grandmother says, Sam, what's wrong? She, he said, Grandma, I got to tell you something. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I don't know how it happened. I'm just such a terrible shot. And then the feathers were flying everywhere. I'm so sorry. She said, Sam, what are you talking about? He goes, Grandma, I shot your pet duck and I killed it. I buried it over there behind the wood pile. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Grandma, she got down on her knees and she gathered him up and she gave him a hug and kissed him. And she said, Sam, I've already forgiven you. I was standing in the window and I saw the whole thing. I was just wondering how long you were going to let your sister Julie make a slave out of you. <laughs> so as I close today, I don't know what you did. I don't know who you did it to or who you did it with. I don't need to know either, by the way. But Jesus was standing in the window. He saw the whole thing. He's just wondering how long you're going to let the devil make a slave out of you. Today, you can go free from guilt. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You don't have to be a slave of your past. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you.
Will you bow your heads? Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before your throne of grace. I just pray that your goodness would just draw people today to repentance, to change their mind, to change their mind about, to, to change how they think and feel and act in regards to sin. You're so good, you've paid the price for our sin, and you want to let us go from the guilt. You want to let us go from the shame. We don't have to be a slave to it anymore. If you're here today and you're ready to ask, Jesus, who are you and what do you want me to do? I want to lead you in the prayer of salvation. And the prayer is not what, it's not magic, it's not what changes your life, but it does open a door for Christ and his spirit to come into your life like never before. All you have to do is mean it from your heart. You don't have to be perfect after this, but you will be perfectly God's. If you're watching us online today, if you're in the family venue, if you're here in the main auditorium, would you just join me right now as the congregation and I just pray the prayer of salvation. Say it with me today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I declare Jesus as my Lord. He died for me, for my sins. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead. I say, Jesus, I am yours. You are mine. From this day forward, I'm living for you. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say, forget the duck. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, welcome home. You just got born again. and we were just, You're the reason we did this today. We're so excited for you.